Hey mamas, and welcome to the Entering Motherhood podcast. This is your one-stop, go-to place for getting you from feeling drained, exhausted, and unfulfilled in motherhood to feeling more energized, organized, and accomplished. That's the vision I continue to navigate towards, and that's the vision we are sharing with you, focusing on holistic alternatives and restructuring your mind, body, and soul from the inside out. I'm your host, Sarah Marie Bilger, a wife, mom of two, mechanical engineer, VBAC mom, and doula, serving mamas through pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. If you're here for this, if you're as pumped up as I am and searching for that fire that you know is deep inside of you, then let's go. Let's uncover what it truly means to enter motherhood. You are a rock star. I believe in you. Let's doula this. Let's crank it up a notch and let's kick it into high gear together. Hey mamas, how are you? I am super excited to kick off this episode and I want to ask you if you know what the most common complication that can arise during pregnancy or postpartum is. And in this episode, we talk about how that is postpartum mood and anxiety disorders, or also known as PMADS, which is super surprising. And we talk with Susanna Baldwin, and she is a licensed professional here in the Greenville area, but we really dig into this conspiracy of silence and feeling like we have to be alone in what's going on mentally in the postpartum period and all about self-reporting, the difference between baby blues and postpartum depression, and really that umbrella of PMADS and why it's so critical to pay attention to these occurrences and the feelings that we have in the postpartum period, and it can even show up while we're still pregnant. So I hope you enjoy this episode. We dive into what to look for, what to do, and who to ask when it comes to postpartum mental health. So let's get this episode started. Hello, and welcome to Entering Motherhood. Glad to have you here today. How about you go ahead and introduce yourself for our listeners before we get the conversation started? Sure. Thank you, Sarah. Um, My name is Susanna Baldwin, and I'm a licensed professional counselor in private practice in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, And I work with and advocate for adults and couples navigating their reproductive journey. That's our practice name. Um, We offer individual counseling and training and consulting, and we're home to five clinicians. We all have advanced training in perinatal mental health. That's our thing. In addition to the private practice, we do a bunch of workshops and groups, all kinds of goings on, no telling what we're up to is kind of how it feels around here most of the time. I'm also uh, a parent to four children, so I really get the joys and struggles. Um, my kids are older these days compared to a lot of the people that may be interested in what we're going to talk about, but nonetheless been there, done that. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. I am, you know, super passionate about this topic and really just diving into maternal mental health, because I think it's something that is starting to become more widely talked about, but I think there's still so much misinterpreted information out there that causes us to just really like 
go on tangents of like, what is this? What am I feeling? How am I feeling? And there's still that stigma that's constantly surrounding it. So, you know, like I love having these conversations, but coming from a professional side that you are able to give, I think is so important too, because there's a lot of, you know, conversations that can be had that are uh, misunderstood, like just Mm -hmm. information that's out there that's kind of portrayed in a way that is not um, a professional manner. So I think, you know, like having somebody like you openly talking about it and giving that perspective for moms to really understand like what's going on in that perinatal period um, is really important because we need to have that professional viewpoint as opposed to, you know, just like chatting with girlfriends and like working out our feelings, which is, you know, good in some ways. Uh But, um, I, I think there is, there's a different level of like understanding, um, what is going on on a more like complex level, uh, that we really need to, you know, hopefully like (laughs) surface level brush on, but, um, able to allow people to get just like wheels turning of, um, understanding what's happening, you know, in their body during this time and in their mind and, and seeing like the differences between what is common and, and what Mm -hmm. is a little bit, um, further of a situation. Yeah, absolutely. No, you're absolutely right. I think that the value in um, social contacts and and connections and speaking up to friends is completely there. But at the same time, um, something could be misinformation. We all tend to project our stuff onto the other person's message, which then sometimes gets things a little more tangly than hopefully ideally when you're talking to a professional. That's part of our job is to not let my stuff tangle with your stuff. Um, and having studied all this information, right, to to pass the certification exams and to have the licenses. Yeah. So yeah. I agree. I think there's a lot of value in just talking about it in yeah. the first place, but then including expert information. Yeah. And I think also, too, I mean, a lot of the times in these situations, we do only have like friends or family Mm -hmm. or, you know, like our partner. And sometimes, you know, if it's a friend coming to us and they're maybe saying some things and we're not sure to how how to like professionally go about it or how to properly help them. um, I think just understanding some basic information about common things that can be occurring um, is very helpful in itself. Yeah. No, absolutely. I agree. I'm I'm excited to hear, you know, like your professional side of things and and what you can um, share with us today. Okay. So I'm just going to kind of go into an overview of things and you feel free to interrupt me or ask me to elaborate if there's something you're like, ooh, ooh, that sounds really interesting. Okay. (laughs) And I actually like to start by talking about why it's so important to talk about it, which is what we were just doing. Because there's this conspiracy of silence that is a huge deal around this topic overall, which basically means everybody's a little bit afraid to say, hey, I don't feel right. I don't maybe like motherhood. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. You know, everybody's a little bit afraid to say that. So because nobody wants to be the first one to say it, nobody else says it either. You know, and you kind of have this classic, hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. And there's so much more going on that we're not talking about. And then the silence really keeps us from knowing who needs help, 
what kind of help they need. And it just sort of perpetuates that the system's not set up really well to catch and assess and prevent because unfortunately a lot of it's self-report, you know, we don't have a like lab test measure really for these people have to be able to say I'm feeling this way or answer the questions this way. Um, So talking about it is actually a really important antidote, you know, again, whether it's to a friend to say, God, I'm not really feeling this isn't what I thought I was going to feel or talking to an expert or talking to their doctor or experts like that's talking about it and trying to normalize that this is a lot harder and a lot more can happen than is on the surface you know so it's a it's a helpful introduction overall I want to also take a minute to talk about the difference between some important terms so for starters, baby blues versus more serious things. Um, That's a really common term. Most everybody's heard of baby blues and it tends to get lumped in. And then it kind of can contribute to this conspiracy of silence because of this misinformation, right? Kind of talk about earlier. So baby blues is a um, transient period, meaning comes and goes and it shouldn't last more than two weeks. And it's kind of magical, like 13, 14, 15 days, you know, it's pretty close to that two week period. And it's going to just be a lot of tearfulness and kind of mood swing and reactivity, but you're still basically yourself, you know, your basic um, ability to function and who you are feels present and and intact, right? Um, It should not last longer than 14 days, though. That's the trick here. Lots of times women get told that at three months, four months, it's the baby blues, right? Which is dismissive that they are likely having something else going on. Now, the the tricky thing is some more serious conditions can happen in that same time frame, but baby blues can't happen beyond that, right? So it's important for women to know that. And the vast majority go through it. It's like 70, 80, 90% in most measures. Right. And seems to be really unrelated to environment or psychiatric history or any of those other risk factors. This is largely a thing that comes from the exhaustion of labor, the fact that you've probably been up all night or already been up several nights in a row. You haven't eaten the same. You haven't slept the same. Your whole schedule just turned upside down. No like typical morning commute and beverage, no typical chit chat with whoever, you know, life just turned upside down, usually within 24 hours. You know, everything's different. Um, All those things kind of collide to create what we think is the baby blues. Hormones are changing drastically, too. On this thought with the terms and what's what, the next one is postpartum depression. Just that phrase, which um, most people know. And there's been a lot of celebrity things and a lot more attention to that phrase, which is fantastic. On the other hand, To me, it also is a little isolating to people who don't identify with having a depressive type symptom Um, because that's what we think of. We think of kind of the Eeyore, you know, low mood, um, tearful, crying, not motivated type presentation. Um, And lots and lots of women, that's not the dominant thing that shows up. And so then they think, well, I don't have postpartum dot, dot, dot because I don't have depression. Um, So I also think it's important to talk about, yeah, postpartum depression is useful as maybe an umbrella term for all the things going on. Um, But the official way to talk about it is to say perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. So that encompasses more stuff, PMADS for short. Um, That's not as commonly used a term unless you're an expert, right? You're not going to hear most moms being like, I think I have a PMAD. (laughs) But Nonetheless, I think it's important to recognize there's a lot of stuff besides just depression that can occur during this phase. Um, 
And most people, you know, you, I mean, even clinicians, we're not really good. We can't diagnose ourselves. We're not very good at doing that. Moms don't need to do that. You just need to have an inkling that there's more than just looking like low, sad that can happen. And if these other things happen, it still might be a reason to go. I don't feel like myself and I'm in this postpartum period. Maybe I should talk to somebody about it. Maybe I should get a screening. Maybe I should call the hotline and check this out. Right. That's kind of my purpose of explaining all of this. So what are some of the things? So we can have postpartum anxiety, which is probably the most common besides postpartum depression. Um, Most of the providers that I speak with feel like anxiety being a dominant symptom is at least equally common, if not um, even more common than depressive symptoms showing up. We can have postpartum OCD. There can be postpartum PTSD. There can even be first occurrences of bipolar and the, the rarest is postpartum psychosis, but that's the one that we see on the news all the time. So, you know, we can elaborate there in a little bit if you want to, because I wasn't, I don't want to go into all of them. I feel like sometimes it gives that impression that we, you're supposed to memorize this stuff and figure out how to dose, diagnose yourself. And that's not really it at all. My point in naming these is to say, look, a whole bunch of different stuff that's got a lot of complexities can show up in this time. This time, when I've said that a few occurrences now, means anytime during pregnancy, and any time in the first year after delivery. So I often get asked the question, all right, well, I'm, you know, I have a two-year-old. I'm not postpartum. Well, it's when did it start, you know? And so if somebody's reached out for us for help and they said, you know, I just hadn't felt like myself since nine months and their babies too, then it is postpartum. If there's not been a remission, meaning if the symptoms haven't stopped and then maybe they restarted, then it's still postpartum. Um, And so that's an important measure too. I think a lot of people think, well, if I get postpartum depression at six months, I've only got six months to go because when when I'm a year postpartum, I'm not going to have it anymore, right? I'm like, oh, I kind of really wish it worked that way, but it doesn't work that way. Um, That's just when they start. That's how we define this term. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I just want to like call attention to that even more because I think that's something that, yeah, a lot of people like don't understand, like if it hasn't been treated, if they haven't worked through it, if it's been an ongoing uh, occurrence, you know, since the birth of their baby, like since like a few months postpartum, it is something that needs to be evaluated. You know, like you said, like a postpartum depression, anxiety, once you hit that year mark, once you hit like any mark, it's not just like it magically goes away. And I think it's something that it is kind of common. Like, you know, you're like, oh, like I've just felt like this ever since, you know, the baby was born or since like this happened or I went back to work or like things like that. I think like when things then continue to pile up on top of it, like specifically speaking anxiety, like I know I had had anxiety before babies, like Mm -hmm. before I Mm -hmm. even got pregnant. So then adding on pregnancy and the postpartum. And like you said, that full 24 hour, just complete shift into your life. Like no matter how much you prepare for it, you don't know what that postpartum period is going to be like for you Mm -hmm. specifically until it hits. And I think it's just one of those things that we have to be evaluating and, you know, 
looking at ourselves and having those conversations to see, you know, what is going on here? Why do I feel so off? Like I specifically remember it was like six months postpartum. I was on the floor in our bedroom, just crying, saying like, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know, you know, what I'm supposed to be doing. Like I had been back at work, like had a six month old, Mm -hmm. like completely just like what in the world. And here's my husband looking at me like, I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Like, how do I, uh, he's like, what do you yeah. mean? And it was like something that I had kept silent, like just kind of like pushing through it. Like this must be motherhood. This must be like what people are are doing because how else are they managing it all? Right. Um. I just thought like I was, I was not managing motherhood well. Um, not that there was anything like that I could work on and, you know, like could be, you know, like all my anxiety and everything. Um, so I think it's like important to understand, like if, if there is those struggles, if there are those feelings, um, just acknowledging them and kind of like looking at them in a different way and saying like, oh, maybe I can find a professional that will be able to just talk through these things with me and be able to rationalize them and um, interpret them in a way that's um, professional and like outside of my abilities, like me, like looking at myself. So I, I think that's just like like very big to acknowledge and and be aware of. Just kind of think like when did your symptoms start? Like when mm-hmm. were you starting to feel this way? When did you feel kind of overwhelmed by the weight of motherhood and and life occurring? And you know it doesn't have to be like like you said that you're kind of mopey like right being <laughs> around. Like it can look very different for everybody. And I think understanding that uniqueness of it all is, is important to like call out. Oh yeah. And I mean, you spoke perfectly to one of my upcoming points, which is that what's so unique about this time is that symptoms often get hidden by the identity shift. Right. And so moms end up thinking that they just suck at motherhood. Right. Because these symptoms showed up right when you're having an identity shift. And I don't care if it's baby number one or eight, it's still the first time you've been a mom to that baby. And it's still the first time that you've been a parent to those eight kids. You know, it's still your identity is evolving and changing. And when those symptoms show up in the midst of that, it's really easy to think, I just suck at this. And then the symptoms get missed, right? So even the person experiencing them doesn't know their symptoms. And that identity shift is a really important one. But it's, again, something you don't really know. I feel like everybody could tell you about it and, you know, until our faces were blue, until you're in it. And and then you're like, oh, yeah, the way I think about myself is wholly different. One time somebody told me, I love this little snippet story that somehow epitomizes it. Like, you know, before my first baby was born, my partner and I always just like, you know, ate dinner, watching a show or maybe on the porch or at eight o'clock at night or four o'clock, like who cared? It was just whatever. And then magically when the baby got to be about six months ish, you know, was sitting up and was high chair ready. All of a sudden she felt driven, like infuriated if partner didn't make happen that dinner was at six 30 at the table with placemats. Like that was the part that really kind of captured like with placemats. And she's like, where did this come from? Where does well, it's this identity thing that's cropping up about like, what does it mean to be a mom? And the meaning there was, you know, there's something around mealtimes and how we do mealtimes and all that stuff. 
like that's just a, a simple little example, right? Of how we start changing in ways that we didn't expect to change. Um, and so that part is so, so important. Every now and then people ask me, why is this, what's the, why not just call it depression? Why has it got to be postpartum depression? What's the big deal? Well, that's one of the big deals is that we've got people going through identity shifts. And if we don't address it, then their whole identity gets sort of morphed around this symptomatic, you know, issue and, and illness, essentially. The other part is we have little bitty people that are a hundred percent dependent on these parents that don't feel well. Right. Um, and so that's the other reason that this is a unique and not just a depression of any other time. This could forevermore change both these people and this family's trajectory if we don't address it. And so that impact is, in my opinion, I'm very biased. This is my thing. Right. My purpose. But it, it can forever impact much more than an individual who's perhaps not responsible for anybody. And, and of course, that person's important. But now we're talking about you know, double or triple the importance, right? All right, back to some more. I want to throw you some more like, oh my gosh, sort of. Yes. Okay. Postpartum perinatal mood and anxiety disorders are the number one most common complication of being pregnant or having a baby, which I feel like most people when I do presentations, like really? Not the whole thing they make me drink the yucky juice more, (laughs) right? (laughs) Not the reason they made me write down my blood pressure 800 times. Not the thing they could look at with an ultrasound. None of that. No, none of that. It's the thing that maybe if you have a good provider, you answered a 10 question screening tool about once or twice. That's the thing that happens. And so when you really stop and think about it, you start to realize the disparity between how much we're talking about this, right? Most everybody pregnant knows about gestational diabetes. They just, they just do, but not everybody knows about postpartum depression. Um, Not everybody's screened for it. Not everybody gets talked to about it, even if they get screened, which is like, "Eh," we sort of got there and we don't know what the resources are or how to get help, right? When all the other stuff, you doctor, we expect them to tend to you. They're going to talk to you about it. They're going to test you for it. And then they're going to give you a, a suggestion of what we need to do about this. And that whole thing doesn't happen with the most common instant of childbirth, which I'm sure as you can hear from the tone of my voice blows my mind. I just don't get it. And I won't stop talking about it until I just can't anymore. And, and, or it's just not that way. Cause it just yeah. makes no sense to me. And yeah. we are talking about a prevalence of as many as sometimes it looks as much as one in five to one in seven birthing people yeah. that have a perinatal mood or anxiety disorder. Yeah. I just That's saw huge. a statistic that it was like one in three Due to the pandemic. The pandemic. It, yes, yeah. It was it like, has like absolutely. The one in five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The one in five to one in seven was pre-pandemic. I was just about to say that. Now it's like one in three. I mean, think about what that means and how many women you know that are moms. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, again, it's that like that silence that like, well, what does this mean if I do speak yeah. up, if I do say something, you know, the shame that's associated with it or, or are they going to take my baby away or am I? Like, you know, you start to question if you're capable of caring for your children, you know, that impact that you're talking about, like you are responsible for this other person. Now you do forever, like have that responsibility. So, you know, these feelings with the weight of that responsibility, I think 
overlapping each other is just terrifying sometimes that like you almost just feel like, okay, well, I I'll just like buckle down and manage Mm -hmm. to get through it. And you try to continue like trudging through this never ending journey of like, how do people do this? And, and how is this like being structured in a way that like people are making it work and, and like that mom makes it look easy or even, you know, Mm -hmm. that, that, like anybody, any any parent, um, I think this applies to because I'm sure, you know, you working with couples and everything too, like if the mom is having symptoms like that leaks into the partner mm-hmm. and it can also just be something that they're experiencing as well. And I think, again, like that's something that we don't discuss or talk about too, that like the partners of these yes. people, like could be having, having symptoms as well. Oh yeah. And that is something that even more people give me the funny look for. Like, what do you mean the non-birth partner can have postpartum? Like they didn't have a baby because we tend to think of it as such a biological process and it's not just a biological process. Never mind the fact that we're learning more and more that the non-birth partner has some sort of mirroring processes happening anyway, um, you know, biologically and physically. And they're usually not sleeping either. And their schedule usually just turned upside down. And they're trying to deal with somebody that doesn't feel good, which if anybody's ever had a good friend or anybody going through something, that's a lot of work, you know, to try and kind of keep up that well-being too. So that statistic is like one in 10, and that's also a pre-pandemic number. Mm -hmm. So we're still talking about 10%. And if the birthing partner is struggling, then that goes up that risk. That's a risk factor. So it's more likely that the person is going to be struggling if the birthing parent is struggling, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's an absolutely important thing to know too. Another collision while we're kind of at the partner point is that unrelated to perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, um, or meaning the, the statistic I'm about to say is not if somebody has a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder, we've got this issue, but this issue seems to occur regardless, which is that almost two thirds of couples report a dissatisfaction in their relationship in the first three years after their first baby, right? Like they aren't, they ain't loving this basically. Right. And that is worse if there's a mood or anxiety disorder on board. So now we're talking about, we got this high risk of the birthing parent, not feeling good. Then we have a high risk of the non-birthing parent, not feeling good. And you've got an increased risk now that you are not going to like your relationship. You know, it's not, it's not easy to be in a relationship in the first place when you're trying to juggle logistics of this little person. And now neither one of us are even feeling well in terms of our mental health. So it's just a, it can just get to be a mess pretty quick if it's not addressed or tended to or talked about in some way. You spoke earlier about the treatment and I want to elaborate a little bit there to say, you know, I think it's really kind of under important to underline the, there are effective treatments right? We don't have to just wait for this to wear off, knowing that it might not wear off. You know, it can literally sort of get turned into, this is how you view life and parenting for years and years and years and years and years. And then it shapes who you you think of yourself as, right? So there's not a time that I can think of saying to somebody, maybe you should just wait. You know, I don't, I don't know why we would do that. I can't think of a reason to do that. One of the gifts of the pandemic was the prevalence of telehealth sessions, for example. So, you know, a common thing used to be, well, there's nobody in my area. (laughs) Well, guess what? I mean, you can access anybody in the state that you reside in 
now, which greatly increases your ability to not just a mental health professional like myself, but even medication prescribers, right? Specialists or video supports with other experts and organizations. Like it's just pretty simple. You know, even if you don't have internet, you need to go to the library to access professionals than, than it felt like it was. It was somewhat there before, but now it's just so obviously there. Right. Um, And so there is effective treatment. It's not like, why bother saying anything? They can't do anything for me anyway. Yeah. There's effective medications. Number one, which is a biggie that are safe, by the way, pregnant and breastfeeding. Okay. There are, there's of course, mental health counseling, both of which are proven to improve the symptoms. If you're not feeling well, if you do both, it's even better. But if you can't bring yourself to do both one, it's better than nothing. Um, And there's a good bit of evidence to suggest that doing social support, right? Those are the friends you talked about or an online support group and social support shows up in a lot of ways. We have like the truly social, which is maybe the play date at the playground. You're chit-chatting. You might be swapping tips on, you know, life hacks and brand preferences and, and stuff like that. And that feels very social and fun, but we also need practical social support. You know, those are the friends like, Oh, I'll bring you the thing or do the thing. We need emotional social support. That's the people that we can actually talk to about like, you know, I'm not feeling great. How are you, you know, where you could dig a little bit more. Um, Sometimes we put the emphasis on just the social, social support, you know, the, the water cooler play date, which is great, but we need the others too. We, we need to um, open ourselves up to all those. But a combination of these things can really make a difference and can treat. We've proven it, it helps people feel better and get back to who they want to be and parent the way they want to parent and have a relationship the way they hoped it would be. Yeah. You know? What can you kind of suggest? I think a lot of times maybe we do want to dive deeper and have like an emotional more connection with one of our friends and things and such, but we're kind of maybe afraid or like lacking that like level of trust of, well, what if they tell somebody else or can I keep these, you know, secrets safe or like, can this mm-hmm. conversation like confined in just this, this bubble. And um, I think sometimes like that limits people from, being able to open up. So what would you kind of like suggest in like finding those friends that you might be able to like open up and have those conversations with? Well, I would first, you know, just ask you to consider checking how you'd normally do that, right? All of us have, I like to use the swimming pools. I'm a metaphor person. I like to use a swimming pool as my friend, uh, how you think about friendship, right? So in a typical swimming pool, there's a few people in the deep end and a ton up in the shallow waiting area that's mostly how we are with friendships, right? We've got a ton of people and sort of the acquaintance shallow end. And then we have a few people in the deep end. There's never quite as many down there, right? And it's like, how do you know who's safe to go in the deep end with? And not just on this topic, but on any topic, we all have our own way of feeling out safe people. And sometimes we're wrong, right? Sometimes we throw out a tidbit and we get back a, a stab or a, or a ghosting or a who knows what we got. And we're like, oh, that was not okay. Um, so some of it is about, you know, maybe opening the door slowly for most people. We don't just like, I met you and here's my whole, (laughs) right. Here's the whole, um, spiel on how I'm doing or not doing. Uh, but that we rather say small things like, you know, if we get asked, how are you? Well, yeah, you know what? I'm doing okay, but man, some of it's trickier than I thought. And you're right. Just little statements to see if they bite. Oh Yeah. Yeah, me too. Like what? And you just kind of keep going 
um, in sort of a reciprocal fashion that feels comfortable. Mm-hmm. That giant oversharing, probably even if it wasn't on this subject, you know, maybe it's about you want to really talk to somebody about marriage or you really want to talk to somebody about, um, you know, what's been going on at your work. You know, the, the the dumping and laying it all out there can feel kind of scary. We don't know people, but the the gentle sort of sharing back and forth and just paying attention to who we click with. Um, but we got to be willing to say something. That initial vulnerability is where it has to come or you're never going to get in the deep end with anybody. And so really, I think you just reference that. Of course, if you go to something that's like a postpartum group or that's a, a designed around deeper conversation, then you, you know, you're pretty safe to feel like I could just kind of jump in a little bit more. This is what we're here for. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. yeah. No, I love that like analogy of the swimming pool. Yeah. Because, yeah. It's it's very true. I think it is something that you have to kind of like test the waters with. Yeah. Right. And like see who is going to be those people. And I think just like the more you interact with others, and maybe it is something like if you're, you know, listening in and like you're pregnant right now, or you know, like you're even like before you get pregnant, you're kind of like preparing yourself for what motherhood could potentially entail. And I think like starting to find those friends that you can trust now and really develop those relationships with is a good starting point because you don't know what conversations you're going to have once you enter motherhood and really Mm -hmm. like dive into it all. So plus the other thing is, um, you know, most instances of postpartum actually start during pregnancy. You know, we're more and more figuring that out, but it's again, doesn't have as much, you know, we don't know that moms don't know that as much. Um, And so we all sort of think like, oh, it's just going to like, it's once the baby starts or the clock starts, but oftentimes there's little inklings of not quite myself. I'm really worried about X, Y, Z. I'm really feeling down about changes. You know, you're like, oh, and, and so, um, I'm throwing that in here to say that's important to remember too. This isn't just a, oh, the baby's here. Now it's time to pay attention. Yeah. It's yeah. it can happen when we're pregnant too. Um, and if it does, that's a much better time to get started on yeah. figuring out how to feel better um before the little person's here to tend to and we go through all those changes. Yeah. Right. So can you yeah. kind of dive in on that a little bit further? And can we kind of, what would be common feelings that are coming up as somebody who's like newly, you know, found out that they're pregnant and having like common feelings of, you know, I think everybody to some extent is like, oh, I'm scared or I'm nervous or how is this yeah. going to work and things like that. So like what you see, what kind of surpasses the level of like, what's a common you know, thought process and, and where maybe those symptoms are, are border aligning, um, we should you know, like seek professional guidance. Yeah. Well, this answer is probably going to be applicable to both cases, meaning pregnant or postpartum when, when, when I seek help. The gist is, is that if anything, I don't care if it's anger, irritability, anxiety, meh, you know, sort of just that flat feeling sleep disturbance, like if there's anything that feels kind of related to mood and anxiety or well-being that is consistently a problem, then we need to ask for help, right? Period. Consistently a problem. And what does consistently mean? Like, all right, give it two weeks. If two weeks goes and you have been irritable more days than not, worried more days than not, sad more days than not, you can't, you know, angry. I can't, nobody does anything right. (laughs) everybody's irritating me. 
that's what I'm talking about. And and that's it. That's when you just stop and go, I don't need to know all the things. I don't need to know all my risk. I just need to know that there's resources and I haven't felt like myself for two weeks. I need to get this checked on. Right. Because we would do that with anything else. You know, if we were talking about a, you know, okay, uh, some virus. Right. And we're like, well, how do I know when to get help? When you're coughing really bad and you have a fever and you haven't felt good for two or three days, you know, we're like, that's when you go to the doctor. This is kind of the same thing. If something's going on that you're not yourself for some period of time, it's time to go help, please. Or or check. I'm not sure. You know, can I get a checkup? Basically, can you see if I'm good or maybe this is a transient thing or maybe I need more help? The exact same way we would do if we were like, is this a cold? Or is this strep throat? Do I have the flu? Do I have, what do I have? Um, is this a transient thing? Do I just need to rest or do I need, you know, treatment? Exact yeah. same process, if that makes yeah. sense. Right? No, that makes perfect yeah. sense. And I think, you know, like as somebody who's like aware of these kinds of things, like I see that, but like, what do you think is going on culturally that like we do let these mental associations mm-hmm. just not be acknowledged mm-hmm. as as much or as prevalent as like you know if we broke our arm and it's dangling mm-hmm. there like we're gonna go get help <laughs> but right. like when there's something yeah. off mentally why are we suppressing it or just kind of you know thinking like oh it's not that bad or like you know like I can work through this or I can push through this and we're not yeah. acknowledging it as like extremely as uh, something that physically re- like presents yeah. itself. Well, there's so much stigma, right? I mean, we could look back at history. I mean, when you think about extreme things like, you know, asylums and, you know, we just didn't know what to do, but we didn't treat people that didn't feel well and act right very kindly in our history and not super, super long ago either, you know? Um, so there's this huge stigma, number one, about having um, any sort of I'll just say dysfunction sort of generically in this department, right, of mental well-being. But then also we all have this um, notion that it's just controllable. It's it's mind over matter sort of thing. That if we have a mental symptom, it's because we're sort of weak in our constitution or weak in our character. And we don't believe that if we broke an arm. You know, we we have this ability to say our body is not under our absolute control, right? Like, we have a lot of influence and whatever, but it's not under our absolute control. It could just have an illness or a disease or an injury. And I can't fix that with my thinking good about it. Right. But we have this idea that mental illness, if I'm anxious, you should just stop worrying. Or if I'm sad, you should just smile more and see the silver lining and get up and go. We, we just don't give it the same weight to understand and to say, you know what, we can't control every aspect. Some of this is a biological process. You know, we can influence some of it that way, just like we could probably influence some with our broken arm with ice and not moving it around and using basic first, like we can influence some improvement, but we can't just think our way out of it. No different than we can think our way out of high blood pressure or a broken arm, you know, but, but it's like people think we do. You know, we mm-hmm. hear that stuff all the time. Just get up, just smile more. It's not that bad. You know, uh, just stop worrying. Oh, sure. Oh, that easy. <laughs> I mean, I'll get right on that. 
<laughs> like I love when that happens. Uh-huh. Thank you or, so yeah, much. And I, I think a lot of times I hear too, like, oh, well, you know, like just meditate or, you mm. know, practice, like go on a walk or run and like things like that. And it's like, okay, like that might work for somebody who mentally yes. is stable, but like, if it is that persistent, like more than two weeks or, you know, you can't get yeah. it out of your mind, it's that like obsessiveness of it you know, a walk isn't going to do it. Like, no. And a walk might be, (laughs) you know what? A walk's probably never bad unless, you know, it's a broken leg. It's a broken arm. A walk's walk's never bad. I mean, we might even make the suggestions about here's part of how we're going to help you get well, dot, dot. Let's get some movement happening. Mm -hmm. Okay. But yeah, it's not enough. And to say that that's it, right. Or to hear that's all I need to be doing and I'm doing it. It's not working. It just makes the message now, like now what's wrong with me? I can't even meditate and walk my way out of this like so-and-so did, mm-hmm. you know, and again, kind of having that understanding, it does work for some people have a very mild thing, you know, and, and there, it happens. People have a super mild symptom and they make a few changes in their life and they feel better. I still say, well, see, they made some changes. That was their treatment. Fine. Okay. But everybody needs different treatment. No different than the, the illnesses, right? Mm-hmm. Some of us catch the flu and big deal. We rest and take some over-the-counter meds and OJ and we're good. Others need lots of time and lots of assistance in recovering. And we don't judge that necessarily so much, yeah. right? Or think, oh, what's wrong with me that I still have this cough? Uh, uh, we just treat it and hope and do the things we're supposed to do. Yeah. Right? So thanks for those questions and the the digging in with it. So let me talk just a little bit about some resources. The biggest one for nationwide, realizing that, you know, you're not all in the little town that I'm sitting in at the moment, is the Postpartum Support International. Their website is postpartum.net. It's easy to remember. They offer so many things. I mean, I have to say that they were great before the pandemic, and now they're amazing. There is online groups led by experts every day for varieties of topics, not just postpartum, but being pregnant and having an issue, women of color, if you're in the military, maybe you're pregnant after you've had a loss and there's anxiety around that. Um, Maybe you've had a loss. Maybe you're in an LGBTQ situation, relationship. I mean, everything. It's unbelievable. Every time somebody asks about a special population, I'm like, let me look. I'm sure there's one there because they've got it all going on. Um, They also have tons of resources for birth partners. They got resources for professionals. If there's one resource you hear from today, that's the one you need to know about. You need to know about Postpartum Support International. And most states, by the way, have chapters. So you should also look into your state and see if there's a local chapter that might be doing fundraising, awareness you can get involved with, may have some um, more local goings on that you want to check out. There's actually, um, it's less than a year old. We now have a national maternal mental health hotline, which I feel like is such a huge deal. So it's no more like, you know, I mean, of course, there's the great crisis lines and all that. And you may, people may know that 988 is the new kind of emergency number for mental health. So we also have that in the last year. Um, Instead of 911, you could call 988. Okay, that's a nationwide thing. But that's generic for any sort of crisis. The maternal mental health hotline, which is 844-943-5746, is specific to maternal mental health, which lots of, you know, it resonates with a lot of people to know that, you know, that thing you spoke to earlier, like, how do I know they're not going to judge me or think that something, you know, I can't take care of my family? Ah, Because they know. 
right? They, they're trained and they know the differences between these things. And rarely is it a problem with you not being able to tend to your family or needing to be reported to somebody. That's super rare, you know, and they know, they know the differences. So you can feel safe in reaching out to those things. Yeah. I think it's important to really call out those resources and say that there are uh, resources available no matter where you're at. And, you know, like you are local to Greenville, like obviously if yep. people are listening and um, they want to get in contact with you and, and your practice and everything, like that's something that they can certainly, you know, Absolutely. reach out and do. So, you know, like how about you give, you know, yeah. information on how you can contact you as well. So we are located in person in, in, in office in Greenville, South Carolina. People visit us all over the upstate. So, you know, anybody that's nearby can come in person. But we also serve um, families all over the state of South Carolina. So, again, virtually you can live anywhere in South Carolina and we can help. Um, and we're actually working on getting some licensors in some other states. So soon you won't have to live in South Carolina, but right now you do. Um, we do offer coaching. So if people are having less symptoms and don't necessarily need mental health counseling and live in another state, we offer coaching, which looks more goal oriented. You know, that's more of a, man, I really need to change this thing. I've got this situation or these, these parenting tips and stuff I need to adjust and I need some help and accountability getting there. Um, normally that's a part of what we do in counseling. We just don't do the counseling part if you live out of state. So anybody that's out of state can consider that. Um, and I also do professional consultations. So providers in other states across the country that might need help with a clinical case or a topic or want to discuss that, I'm available to do those as well. I've been doing exclusively perinatal mental health work for 12 years now and have a certification in perinatal mental health. And, and so I'm very comfortable in that expert role and, and really like helping other people make sure that they're kind of keeping up on it and doing their best. I love that. Well, is there anything Thanks. else that you would like to add to somebody who is in that newly postpartum period or pregnant currently and um, just maybe words of wisdom or a little something that uh, you wish that you would have heard when you were first entering motherhood? Yeah, I, I think that the simplest way to say it is that, you know, expect the unexpected, which feels super cliche, but um, come what may, it's not your fault, right? Like this is not something that you did or didn't do and that there's ways to get feeling better. You're not alone. There's massive amounts of women and people going through changes and it's okay. And to just say, can somebody help or somebody feel this way? You know, yeah. I think means a lot that if you've heard this and somebody that's listened to this whole podcast is already doing great. They're already, I, I say that at the end of every talk I do anywhere. Yay. You just completed a huge, like now you're, in, now you're in the game because now you know um, more about what to look for, what to do and who to ask than, than you did a little while ago. Um, and that's a great start. So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing everything that yeah. you know and really opening up the conversation around uh, perinatal, maternal mental health. So thanks. Sarah. Thank you. It's been great. I love talking about it. Thank you, mamas, so much for listening. Remember, you are a rock star. I believe in you. Let's do this. Let's crank it up a notch and let's kick it into high gear together. Hit that subscribe button. Share this episode with a friend. Message me, email me, call me, beat me. You know how to reach me. We're doing this, mamas. 
I am so excited to catch you here next week. This is your one-stop go-to place for helping you find the resources you need to make the best choices for you and your family during pregnancy, birth, and most importantly, postpartum. See you later, mamas.